Ag State of Mind, Episode 99. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Today we go up to the great state of Minnesota and talk with my friend Kennedy Haney. Kennedy is a dietitian. She is transitioning into farm life, uh, living on a fourth generation dairy farm. Uh, she, We talk a bit about all things nutrition, but then we chat about uh about eating disorders and how they can look different for lots of different people. Uh, Kennedy is a wealth of information. Like I said, we connected over at Clubhouse, and Clubhouse is one of my favorite places to meet people because uh, of the of the actual chatting, actual talking that goes on over there, and made so many great connections. Just like Kennedy over there, um, go check her out at the Dugout Dietitian on Instagram, and she has just some really, really great stuff over there. So before we get started, I would like for you to go check out our Instagram page at Ag State of Mind. Uh, I do my best to kind of show my daily life, show the things that I do each day on our farm um, to kind of manage my mental health a little bit. Not just not just my mental health, but what it's like to have a family and raise a family on a farm like mine. So go check us out over there and that's at Ag State of Mind on Instagram. All right. I appreciate you guys listening and look forward to you listening to my conversation with Kennedy. All right, Kennedy, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. Thanks for coming on and joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks so much for thinking of me. I'm excited. Well, I've been wanting to have this conversation for a while because what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about eating disorders, and it's something that is definitely a part of mental health, Mm -hmm. and it's something that I think is way more common than folks realize, and it's something that I think people struggle with silently a lot. So, I, I, you know, let's do dive into all the things here. But first, kind of give us your background and where you ended <laughs> up where you are now. Yes. Okay. So I am Kennedy Haney. I'm a Minnesota-based registered dietitian. So I originally was a high-performing athlete in the state of Minnesota. And then I went off to college and did my undergrad at a small, private, Catholic, all-women's university. I played one, not even full year of college softball at the Division three level before my personal eating disorder took over and kind of ended that, that career for me. So that we'll get into my story with that later on. But then after that, I went off and I did my master's degree at Concordia University, Chicago. So I have my master's in exercise science and sports nutrition. I love sports nutrition. I've worked with professional collegiate Olympic level athletes and had incredible experiences. And now in this last year, I'm kind of making that shift back to agriculture because that's really where my passion lies is trying to connect those consumers and those producers and make our relationships with food a little bit better through things like that. What part of Minnesota are you from? I'm central Minnesota, so I'm about an hour west of the cities. 
Okay. Okay. So my sister-in-law is from Jackson, which is okay. like yeah. basically Iowa, I think. Yes. You know, yep. So down, I was going to say she's way south. south. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're about three so. hours from that Iowa border. Okay. 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 So yeah, she, she actually went to the U of M and got her degree in pharmacy. So awesome. I'm not the only pharmacist in the family. Well, look at that. That's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't, I mean, obviously I think you're, you've already alluded to your, your own battle with this mm-hmm. and how that went for you. Um, would you mind getting into that a little bit? For sure. No, or, I'm an or a lot or as much as, yeah, yeah, or as much as you want to. For sure. Ask as many questions if I ever, you know, don't cover something that you're interested in hearing about. But I'm very open with my story. I love to tell it because I kind of, you know, firmly believe that if we don't talk about our stories, we're not going to potentially inhibit this from happening to somebody else. So um, after years of being out of that place in my life, I have come to to the realization that my personal eating disorder was triggered by the loss of my grandpa. So my grandpa was this man that I idolized and he was just incredible and the most compassionate, empathetic and amazing individual that you'll ever meet. The stories that my community told about him after he passed away were incredible. And I was 13. So my coping mechanisms, you know, weren't necessarily there and eating disorders are triggered by trauma. So From 13 until I was almost 19 years old, that relationship with food really struggled. I would go through, I I call them cyclic bouts of disordered eating, and it would typically cycle around those big seasons for my softball career. So um, I kind of alluded to being a high-performing athlete. I was a softball player, which has kind of struck my passion for softball and baseball nutrition as well. But I wanted to be the best that I could be. So I would cycle that, you know, unfortunate relationship with food around the most intense periods of my, my career and my schedule. Then I went off to college. I signed to play division three softball at a, just, you know, a small school, but it was my passion and I loved it. And I went off to school and was on my own, of course, you know, kind of just doing the college thing. And I realized that nobody was watching me so I could do all the things that I wanted to do. And instead of coming to terms with the realization that my relationship with food was struggling, I just decided that I would hide it even further from my coaches and my peers and my parents, and I would just be done playing softball. So looking back, it's something that I really tried to prevent from happening to other kids because it's really not a fair or a, you know, real incident that had closure for me because I look back and I'm like you know I was training so hard but I wasn't training in a healthy way and I knew that my performance was going to struggle on the field and it was going to blatantly show so I hit it and now because of that that's why I talk about it so strongly and I share my story with as many people who will listen so I think and this is again we talk about this so many people I think struggle with this and there's such a kind of misnomer about what being healthy is Mm -hmm. I think and around food and we feel like sometimes we feel like the less we eat the better or you know whatever 
whatever kind of story you want to tell yourselves. And this is really hitting home for us right now because Carrie is, uh, she's going through this fat loss lifestyle school. I don't know if you're really familiar with that or not, but it's something, it's like a training program. I mean, she's not necessarily doing it for her own, but she's doing it because she wants to help people like eat healthy. And she is always talking to me about to eat a healthy diet, how much you have mm-hmm. to eat. It's just, and I, I, I think that is like where this, somewhere it's gotten shifted where food is, food. what food really comes down to is food is fuel, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yep. it's, and that's a, that's a really important thing to hook up there. And whenever you talk about how you were a high-performing athlete, your nutrition is extremely important. And I don't think we put that into the right perspective a lot of the time. No, absolutely. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, how I ended up in dietetics was a complete accident. There's actually only four schools in the state of Minnesota that have the major so you can become a dietitian. And I took a nutrition class with a professor who would go on to be one of my lifelong colleagues. I just adore her. I still talk to her to this day. But that really opened my eyes to what nutrition did. And I truly blame my degree for saving me, to be completely honest. And, you know, my degree goes hand in hand with Dylan opening my eyes to, you know, realizing that your disordered eating and your eating disorders affect more than just you. But, you know, it taught me all of the things that you're saying, Jason, like food is fuel and you know, you have to eat so much. You have to be constantly, not constantly, you know, that sounds crazy, but you have to be eating consistently throughout the day to support, you know, the new muscle protein synthesis. So the formation of new muscle or the new lean muscle mass, and then fat loss is a process too. And your brain uses 80 to 130 grams of carbohydrate every day. So, you know, there's just so many things that are lost in diet culture. And unfortunately, social media kind of is a hub for that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so hard, you know, because you see people doing all the things and uh, we have this idea, like I said earlier, we have this idea of what healthy looks like. But when you peel back the layers, I think those people who we are idolizing or putting in a, I don't know what the right word is, putting on a pedestal a little bit. I don't think that that we necessarily know the whole story. Uh, We just see the cover of the book, right? We don't necessarily know what's inside because there there could be a battle in there that is making what they're doing unsustainable. And I think that's a, I think that's a big, big thing that's lost here is we have to eat in a way that is sustainable for us and is going to sustain the type of life that we want to have. Exactly. Nope. I love that. So, and I think this, here's, I I think when we hear the word eating disorder, we automatically go to anorexia or bulimia and we think of young girls. I don't think that's always necessarily the case. I think this is something that is, knows no bounds. It knows no constraints. It's a, it's, male and female, young and old. Uh, It's something that uh, people struggle with across the board, I feel like. Oh, for sure. And, you know, we think of the cliche, you know, skinny white female as anorexia, but then we don't think about men because typically men feel so shameful coming out about it. And this, you know, 
admitting that they have a poor relationship with food and with their body because men are always told to be masculine and strong and show no emotion mm -hmm. and all of these things. But men have eating disorders and I can't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but it's significant and it's something that consistently needs to be talked about, whether you're you know, young, old, an athlete, somebody who goes to the gym for recreational fun or anything in between. So I, yeah, we have to, you know, get rid of that stigma for men and eating disorders and disordered eating for sure. So I would never say that I had an eating disorder, but I will say there's a time in my life I had a poor relationship with food mm -hmm. and I body image is something that I have consistently struggled with. And you're right. That's not something that a lot of guys are really open to talking about. So I find that hopefully talking about it makes it easier for other people to talk about it. And we, we break that cycle and understand that there is a huge mental component to this. I mean, mm -hmm. if we think of what you eat as being physical and everything, but it's, I think it's, it's almost the big, big part of it is a mental process and getting over, um, uh, getting over stigmas and trying to actually do what's best for our body and not worry about any of that other stuff. Exactly. And, you know, the study that the University of Minnesota did years and years ago that talks about, you know, the starvation study, and they did that to assess that mental component of what an eating disorder does. So these men who were restricted significantly and starved began to obsessively think and salivate and dream about food because they were so deprived from it. So they know that food and our mental health go together hand in hand. It's not something that's, you know, not a, not a known subject, but we don't talk about it enough because unfortunately there is such a big stigma around eating disorders and disordered eating. Yeah, there really is. And, you know, I hope that we, and, and you do an incredible job of connecting all the dots, right? I mean, you're coming at it from kind of the, I always say it wrong. How do I say it? Di, 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 how do I say? No, no, no. But like what your study is, dietetics. I always say it oh, wrong. Yeah, I say dietetics. Yeah. I add a, I, I add a T in there. Um, but you're coming from one. it from that side. But you're, but you're also coming from it, which I really can appreciate from the agriculture side. And you know, how is that? How is what you do connecting like that? How is that perceived on each end? I love this. So I, when I first started, you know, shifting my content away from athletes and over to agriculture, I had a lot of people who would message me and say, how does sports nutrition and agriculture really connect? And I'm like, wait a minute, I have to address the topic because people don't think about where our food comes from. So whether or not you're an athlete, you're just a regular individual, you're <laughs> whether, you know, you do whatever you do, you eat every single day. So you have a connection to agriculture. So mm -hmm. we sometimes forget how important it is. And when we start to talk about the mental health and the disordered eating and eating disorders and what that looks like in agriculture, you know, again, we really hide how we feel mentally in agriculture because we're supposed to be so strong and it's a men's job and, you know, this and that. And we don't take time truly in agriculture to assess our mental state because it's go, 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 go. And we have such high expectations and numbers to meet and yields to hit and so on and so forth. So, you know, trying to bring this discussion to agriculture is really, really important. So starting that conversation is kind of where we have to get to. Yeah. And I mean, I all, 
I think many people will tell you that traditionally folks in agriculture have been some of the biggest culprits in not eating the mm -hmm. right foods. And I've always found that. And I, I remember going way back to the early parts of this podcast and, and talking about that and um, how I find that almost ironic that the people who feed the world sometimes don't feed themselves that well. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm super happy that you are taking on that initiative to that you understand that that is a that's a real issue and people we need to pay attention to what we eat obviously because i mean it is it is very hard to be mindful especially when you're in a busy season about what to eat and how you eat and how often you eat um you know it's very easy to miss meals it's very easy to just grab junk instead of real nutritious food but when we can just try to be just a little more mindful of that, it, it helps a whole lot. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I love this, Jason. You brought up an incredible point. So, you know, I had this conversation not long ago in clubhouse and I believe you were in that room with the farm wives club. And we talked about, you know, how I feed my farmer and the, all the different seasons. So I love to refer to everybody as an athlete, whether or not you go to the gym as recreational or you're training at a division one or a professional or Olympic level, or you're a farmer to me, I'm going to look at you biologically and metabolically as an athlete. So I have so much fun in trying to figure out the fueling needs of all different kinds of people. So, you know, for my farmer, he's a dairy farmer, but then of course we have those cyclic seasons where it's um, you know, harvest or planting, or we're in the hot and heavy of calving season, which is typically the summer for us, we have all year round, of course, but we have the challenges of finding, you know, during harvest season, something that's going to keep our meals warm or keep the drinks cool, or, you know, something that's not going to spoil if it sits out. So yes, we bring things like granola bars, and sometimes we have pudding and all those things, but we're also doing fruits and canned vegetables because those are things that are easy for us to bring in the tractor. We can use a can opener. We can, you know, drain out the liquid through the door and have some vegetables in there with us. I always like to make that connection that we can't be on this earth for hopefully 100 years and eat things that we don't love. We can't spend our life doing that because that's going to create more problems than, than anything good. So, you know, just taking into consideration what you need throughout the day as a farmer how you're going to get it. Is it going to be cool? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be something that's shelf stable? And then, you know, making sure that you enjoy it too. So we truly have more barriers to this than anybody else. And I feel in my opinion. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of factors. There's no cafeteria. There's no just going down the street to the local restaurant when it's, sometimes over an hour away right. uh, it's there's there's just so many fat time timing of of whatever's happening you can't stop sometimes or you know you have to make it a huge priority your clock doesn't necessarily line up with the clock of everybody around you and you know there's so many there's so many variables in it and I you bring in a really good point in that it's there's so much going on there that you have to you have to be really mindful of all the things it's like a it's really a truly a holistic approach when you're trying to plan meals and plan food for someone who is farming 
Right. And, you know, if you're a farmer who is single in this season of life, or maybe you're single, you know, just went through a divorce or you're young or whatever it may be, and you don't have somebody planning those meals for you, it makes things even tougher. It's just one extra obstacle that gets thrown in the path. Yeah. No, I never even thought of that, you know, because there is, there, there is so, and I'll just say it from not even necessarily a farming standpoint, but just from a a working husband standpoint, the fact that I have Carrie who stays home and plans the meals for our family and shops and does all those things. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's so valuable to our family. And I mean, it's worth whatever possible wages that she could make that she's able to stay home and do that. I mean, that like, uh, it's like, she's, I don't, she, she brings like such an intangible value to our family because of that. And, and I think that's a way a lot of, and I don't want to just be total, you know, stereotypical of, you know, this is a woman's job. This is a man's job. But I mean, more often than not, that's the case. Um, But I mean, that's so, it doesn't mean it's any more less important. I mean, that is gosh, so important to have that, that component there. No, absolutely. And I agree. And, you know, there are going to be some people who are offended by, you know, women making meals and whatnot. However, being somebody who is a female in dietetics and my world kind of revolves around food, I'm not offended by anybody who thinks that, not thinks, but who has the opinion that, you know, the women should enter because that's what we do. And I have so much fun doing that for my farmer and the, and the, gratitude and the appreciation and the satisfaction that I get when he is like, wow, this was really good. Or that was a great Mm -hmm. idea to bring during harvest. That to me makes any amount of time I spend in the kitchen worth it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're contributing, you know, you're contributing in a in a big way. You know, I will go back to the sports analogies. I use those a lot because they are always so applicable. Uh, I'm, I'm a Cardinals fan, right? I'm St. Mm-hmm. Louis Cardinals fan. I grew up, I'm an hour and 20 minutes outside of St. Louis. Ozzie Smith was my hero growing up. And he was quoted one time, and I'm not going to say the quote exactly because I don't remember, but the mm-hmm. gist of the quote was, I think he must have signed like a big contract or something. And somebody was talking about his lack of offensive prowess, how he wasn't the greatest hitter. He wasn't the power hitter, you know, and he's, he said that he may not drive in a hundred runs in a season, but he probably would save a hundred runs in a season. And that's just as valuable. That's how the way I see what someone who, there's everybody has something that they're contributing it not one person is more essential than the other uh, and and that's you know it, it takes everyone to keep that whole operation moving so tell me a little bit about and I want to I want to go back to the beginning here tell me about your transition into agriculture cuz correct me if I'm wrong you did not grow up in it right <laughs> I did not grow up in agriculture. You're right. So what has that, what has that transition been like? Because my wife did not either. Carrie did not grow up in agriculture. And there were, there's times, especially early in the relationship that it put a bit of a strain on the relationship. And we're very open to talking about that now because we've learned from it. We've grown from it. Um, But I'm curious what that has looked like for you. 
Yeah, I love this. And Dylan and I are an open book too. So I have no offense in talking about it. Um, I met Dylan when I was 18 years old. So I was still kind of a baby. I had gone through my first year of undergrad and I was the girl who the only dirt I had ever touched was on the softball field. And I always had my nails done and my toenails done, and you know, just the complete opposite of what I am now. I usually have my nails done, but you know, I was a little more prissy than I am. So um, driving in the tractor was so foreign to me and my uncle, he has an organic dairy farm, my, my dad's, um, side of the family. So I wasn't, you know, unfamiliar with it, but it was one of those things where when I was misbehaving in high school or middle school or elementary school, my parents were like, we're going to send you to the farm with uncle Adam, you know, for discipline. <laughs> so then I wound up here and, you know, the night I met Dylan, I texted my mom, we were at a country music festival and I texted my mom and I said, I just met my future husband, but he's a farmer. And I went to a family event the next weekend and all of my uncles and my aunts laughed and said, a farmer, okay, Kennedy. And, you know, the transition wasn't easy, but it wasn't that hard for me. I had to get used to, you know, a different schedule and a different way of life. And, you know, we were going to eat dinner at eight o'clock at night and not 5 p.m. at night or different things like that. But, you know, because I was so young and adaptable, I think it made things much, much easier for me. And I, I firmly believe that it takes a special person to wind up with a farmer. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn or toot Carrie's horn or anybody else, but it's not something that's easy. So if you can't adapt and be okay with losing control of things or showing up late or missing events or showing up alone, <laughs> that this probably is not for you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you know, it's been, and we still struggle with it sometimes. She still, uh, you know, wants to, but, and I'll say I have improved vastly in letting some mm -hmm. things go and, you know, really trying to, uh, prioritize things. And, um, but still there, there are just those unavoidable circumstances, right? Where things, you know, it just, you can't always plan for everything. And it does. That was a, that was a huge part of us, uh, I always want to say it's a huge part of our growth is when mm -hmm. we were able to make some compromises over that because I'll tell you the story. I think, I don't know, it was very early on. I'm We're talking like single digits and numbers of t times that we went on a date and um, I can't remember what the scenario was, but I had some cows. I, I got up, I was on a four wheeler and she got, she had these flats on and she got cow crap all over the flats. And like, that was like her baptism by fire. We always say, you know, that was her first time, almost like a, almost like a rite of passage. And, uh, and you know, and then everything, everything since has just been like, you know, she's, she's really, really adapted. Well, it's been, uh, it's and it, it, cause it is, it's not an easy lifestyle to come into because you're dealing with people who have done things a certain way and always it's always been for a certain reason and um, this and that and you know very people very set in their ways right and luckily luckily we were we were young um, when we met and it was still we were still able to adapt and still adapting was easy for each one of us. So, I mean, we're very fortunate in that, um, but still there was, there were some trials in there. 
Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I tell, you know, Dylan's buddies when they get new girlfriends or whatever it may be, I tell them, you know, you have to get used to this lifestyle. So sometimes that means that you're going to lose friends because you you can't show up to every party or you're going to have to build a little bit of self-confidence and, you know, growing your self-worth and just show up alone and bite the bullet and be okay showing up alone. Because I think that was the biggest and the hardest thing for me was to show up places that I knew all of my girlfriends were bringing their boyfriends, their fiancés and husbands. And I was showing up alone. So, you know, it, forces you if you're not a social butterfly like I am luckily to go outside your bubble and you know create conversations and show up alone and just be genuine and be who you are so I tell everybody it's a simple life and I love it and it's made us slow down but it's made me speed up a lot too so I'm so grateful for it yeah well it's there's there's no other life like it and no we're not no it's we're just coming off yesterday was the end of our county fair and uh, there was this time and when you have kids, it, it even puts it into more perspective. And I remember think we were at a baseball game. We were playing in a baseball tournament this past summer and the kids were really good that we were playing against. They were from St. Louis. We're not from St. Louis. You know, we have lots, <laughs> uh, you know, there's lots of disparities there and you know, we got it handed to us pretty well. And, but I remember thinking like, yeah, but you know, when we're done here, my kids get to go home to a farm and, um, they go home to a subdivision and uh, my kids get yes. to have their calves at the county fair. And, you know, those kids probably don't, you know, so, I mean, uh, there is like so much great that there is involved in this life. And sometimes I think we and I know, especially me being live, I lived in the city for six years and uh, we live relatively close to the city so we could see we live close enough to we could see what our life would be like and it's hard sometimes when everything's so readily available in the city but like especially this past year we've seen how great rural living can be because our lives were almost unaffected yes nope i would agree for sure and you know that was kind of another piece that i was going to bring up too is the way that COVID has affected eating disorders, I really think does translate over to agriculture as well, because whether it be for farmers or regular, you know, consumers, the disparities that we've seen in grocery stores and the empty shelves have really triggered some of those relationships with food to show themselves, whether it be, you know, the farmer who feels that they're not doing their job or doing enough or the person who that's their traumatizing, you know, moment where that makes their disordered eating or their eating disorder kind of rise to the surface. So COVID has significantly, significantly raised the rates of disordered eating and eating disorders for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I want to, before we hop off here, I want, every time I have a dietitian on the podcast, I want to make sure and ask this question. And that is the role of meat in a healthy diet. I mean, I know you can talk for hours about this and this isn't something that you can really put down into the last few minutes of a podcast. So I apologize for putting this at the end here, but um, I always want to get dietitians take on this because um, I feel like, I mean, that's what you do, right? You, I mean, you, you know, food. So I want you to talk at the importance of that, of animal-based protein in a healthy diet? Oh my gosh, I love this question. So whether it be meat, dairy, eggs, poultry, whatever it may be, I'm a big advocate for it. So the way that I really like to start off is by saying, you know, God created whole foods for us. He put cows on this earth for us to have a one ingredient product to eat that is 
high protein. It's high iron, you know, for women, anemia, we're affected by it so much. It's full of these rich B vitamins, B12, things that when we don't have meat in the diet, we really struggle with. And that causes, you know, GI distress and digestive symptoms and maybe, you know, a slowed down digestive system that later on translates to, you know, some, some uh, intestinal problems and things like that. But when we're given products, whole food sources of products, and we choose to avoid them, that's a privilege. So I, (laughs) I, Jason, I could talk for hours about this. I I know. I I think all foods fit. And, you know, if you want to be vegan, that's fine. But I need you to understand your basis as to why you're vegan or vegetarian. I need that to be more than, you know, you think that farmers aren't great and wonderful to their, their cows or their or livestock. I don't need it to be because you saw your favorite actress who came out with a vegan or a vegetarian diet. So now you want to try it out because you know, for those diets, we have to make sure that we're so diligently planning our meals and making sure that we're supplementing with the correct products to avoid any kind of deficiency or, you know, illness Mm -hmm. or ailment that's going to come later on. So um, I guess I'm more so talking on the back half of it, but we've seen, you know, some really unfortunate things happen to women who specifically don't have, you know, agriculture products like meat and dairy in their diet. And it causes, you know, sometimes miscarriage because there's not enough vital nutrients or, Mm -hmm. um, going through schooling. I was always taught that unfortunately, um, we shouldn't be recommending to vegan women to breastfeed because they can typically, the child, the infant can typically get more nutrients out of formula feeding than they can breast milk. So those are two examples, but as a dietitian, and I know I got some bias because I'm on the farm, but I just, I, I love meat. I eat meat at every meal. I'll be honest with you. A lot of times it's red meat. I just look at it like we were given so many incredible opportunities to eat whole food sources from the earth that God created for us. So why avoid it? Why make it harder on us? Why? Exactly. Why avoid it? That's, that's always, I think that's, you know, you can, you can do whatever you Mm -hmm. want to, right? You know, they, I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not here to force my lifestyle upon anyone, yes. my food choices on anyone, but why? You know, that's always like, right. that's always the question. Why, you know, why not? Why, why, why uh, deprive yourself of these nutrient dense foods? You know, not just mm-hmm. meat, but like you say, milk, dairy products, eggs, all these things. You know, I have those at every meal. I do. I have some sort of animal mm-hmm. protein at every meal. And I find it, I, I find that it is what, it's what keeps me strong. It's what keeps me yeah. healthy. I mean, yes. and don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I eat lots of plants too, but I mean, you, you, you need those whole foods Absolutely. that are provided yeah. for you. Right. And, you know, where is I going to go with this? Shoot. We, you know, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics typically has recommended a pretty modest diet as far as protein goals. You know, the portion sizes are sometimes a little bit smaller than I would love to see. And maybe that's just the sports dietitian and myself coming out. But, you know, we know that there are significant impairments that can happen if we're not getting enough protein. We can have protein muscle wasting. We can potentially inhibit growth or have osteoporosis, especially for women. And then, you know, on the topic of eating disorders too, osteoporosis, osteopenia, things like that are things that can come out when we don't get enough protein throughout the diet. So 
you know, if we didn't have these products, the amount of processed foods, like, you know, protein shakes, which again, I'm a kind of dietitian that I, if you love cake, cookies, chips, pop, the whole thing, I want you to have it. And I'm going to teach you how we can do it and be healthy. But, you know, if we have to supplement our diet with protein that is in, you know, a protein shake, or maybe it's tofu or, you know, different things like that, we're making it really hard on ourselves. And we're taking a lot of time away to really sit down and plan our meals out when it could be so simple. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could be so simple. And we wouldn't have to do all those things. It's just like, it's, it's, it, it, it may, it does, it makes things and I've never really thought about it this way. But it can make a simple diet that much more simple. I mean, because of how readily available things are and that you don't have to, you know, so much of things that are plant-based proteins are, you can't find them just anywhere, right? And even if you do, they take special storage conditions and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and also a lot of, if you don't pay attention, they're loaded with sodium and all these things. I mean, um, I just... Uh, when it when it can be so simple just to use animal based proteins, then why not do it? Right, for sure. And you know, I just look at it like why have something with one ingredient or you know ten ingredients when you can have something with one ingredient with one That's the exactly. Simplest way to put yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, and again, again, like I say, I'm biased, obviously, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm looking out right here at my window. I see a field full of cows. You're biased a little bit, and yeah. um, but I don't think that necessarily that bias is something that like automatically disqualifies us. I think it's something right. that gives us some, um, it gives us some clout. It gives us some, mm-hmm. it gives us some skin in the game, if you will. And we find all the reasons why that is great for us. Absolutely, no. And I tell everybody that my experience on the farm and being in agriculture has far outweighed anything that I've learned in my two degrees, my master's, my undergraduate degrees. I've been able to answer questions that, you know, other dietitians don't have firsthand knowledge on because I can see it when I walk out my door. So, you know, it's just been the most incredible experience for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kennedy, I don't want to keep you all night. I appreciate you coming on here and having this in-depth conversation with me. We we hit a lot of things. You know, I and I feel like I I feel like we covered a lot, um, but I also feel like there's also a lot more to talk about here. So you have a welcome invitation anytime to come on the podcast because you're first of all you're a wealth of knowledge, and second of all I really enjoy the Minnesota accent. Oh gosh, I always I can't hear it on my end, but I'm glad you can hear it. But this has been so fun, Jason. So thanks for thinking of me. I will do this again in a heartbeat with you. How do people find you online? You can find me on Instagram at the dot dietitian. That's where I have a pretty hot and heavy presence. So you can find me there. Cool. Cool. Well, uh we'll link that in the show notes. Um anything else before we uh call this a night? I think that's all I got. Thanks so much for thinking of me, Jason. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I couldn't let those Midwest farm wives gals outdo me by having you on their podcast and you not be on the yes, too. Yes, you had me first. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, cool. Well, have a great evening. You too, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. 
And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.